Hello, and welcome to 40k Facts about how you think you can fanon. I'm your host, Serge Juan, and these are my co-hosts, uh, The Sound Hotcakes and uh, Maticus Theories. How's everyone doing today? Sergio, I'm doing up, quite Sergio, well. you messed up the name of the podcast. That, that, that <laughs> was intentional. Uh, it's 40k, baby. Know. We're here. This is the first attempt... Uh, reading today's special event, uh, definitely. Michael is not here, as he he's stuck inside of a, a heresy is, right yeah, now. Yeah, he's stuck inside a heresy. He's fighting heretics. I think he's in a warp crusade or something. Yes, and as his battle brothers, it is our duty to bring to you today's material. Yes. So, Sergio, <laughs> what is today's material, battle brother? Today's material is a uh, is a fan fiction by a guy named uh, Lord Lucan uh, that was uh, posted from 2009 to 2010 on uh, heresy but has been re-uploaded to 1d4chan for our viewing pleasure. It is called The Shape of the Nightmare to Come, also known as Warhammer 50,000. Yes, and uh, just some context for anybody who's not quite up to speed. Warhammer is a space fantasy thing. Literally just normal fantasy, except everything is in space. Zombies are robots. Yes, orcs are just space fungi. Everything is grimdark. If you want to know more about it, we have a special on it. I just hiccuped, I'm sorry. Yes, I heard it was a very nice special. Uh, It covers a very, very quote-unquote brief overview that is a couple of hours. As brief as you can get with the Warhammer frame. Yes, uh, to make it even more brief... Normally, it takes place during the year forty thousand, and this fan fiction, yes, and this this fan fiction specifically takes place ten thousand years after any point in the canon writings of Warhammer. Yes, and fills in the blanks in between because obviously you can't just you can't just say, oh yeah, this is happening in fifty thousand without saying, okay, well, how did we get here in the first place? Yes. Well, I think that's a good stage set. Would you like to introduce us to it, Sergio? Uh, yes, I will begin. I will. Uh, will begin by reading <clears throat> the overview of the Second Age of Strife. <clears throat> In the grim darkness of the fifty-first millennium, the endless war continues. There was no great conflagration or calamitous final battle across the vastness of the galaxy. The Imperium died, not with a bang, but with a whimper. The galactic empire of humanity crumbled, its enemies too many, too great, and too terrible to imagine. The great conflict of Octavius had no victory, a war without end. The fiery chasm of strife, the locust, and the green holocaust fused, as beasts looked upon barbarian and both saw each other as kin. The new entity spread with a speed undreamt of by orc or tyranid. War and hunger melded into a single desire to ravage, rape, and remake, all in the image of the new devourer. The Devourer's hybrid nightmares were regenerative and spore-borne, combining into a grand horror which murdered the galaxy, leaving naught but fragments as it left. Metallic sentinels of unflinching dread rose up on some worlds, leaving them safe from the new Devourer, Wah! but instead made them slaves to the silver sentinels and father to their glowing metal gods. The Eldar, who had held on to life for so long, slowly winked out of existence, one craft world at a time, eventually even rumbling... The rumbling hearts of the avatars fell silent, 
for a time in the dead craft world, something slithers through the infinity circuit to this day. Unfortunately, the great d- god of the dead, Iniad, is trapped within this infinity circuit, howling its mournful song into the darkness, eternally hungry in his desire to wreak vengeance on she who thirsts. The Tau, naive in their hope of unity, expanded into a realm of corpses and ash. Every world they came across was dead. The hard and unpleasant task of terraforming each world turned the Tau into bitter, self-righteous beings. They were disgusted at the actions of their predecessors and vowed to not understand their fellow races, but to purge them. Only the Tau could be trusted with worlds. They decided that all others must be cast out, watching their patron laugh his sardonic laugh as his puppets were twisted into terrors. The golden throne finally failed. No one knew for certain what happened to the emperor. For once the throne fell, no Vox or astropathic transmissions ever came from Terra again, as warp storms engulfed the planet. The shattered remains of humanity had neither the power nor the will to return. All that is known is that the Astronomicon died with the death of Terra, sputtering to nothing over the course of 500 years. Eventually, the Imperium, its coherency lost by the splitting of its forces against the new devourer and the sudden surge in warp storms was shattered like glass. Chaotic cults stampeded throughout humanity like electrical surges in an ancient power grid. <clears throat> with the death of the Emperor, the Inquisition finally lost its facade of unity, and most died, killed by the... Mo- the more powerful within its once hollowed ranks. The greatest Inquisitor lords seized whole systems for themselves, becoming feudal kings and regents, uniting scattered mobs of their deadly fellows around them in order to wrestle power from local governors. The church also shattered, becoming nothing more than a series of minor sectarian cults, all save Ophelia. The Adeptus Sororitas withdrew from as many worlds as they could and gathered around Ophelia and nearby systems. Ophelia became a vile charnel house for the ecclesiarch who had been driven insane by all he had seen. He gathered his canonesses, abbesses, and witch hunters together and put billions to the torch. Any system within range of short warp jumps as navigators could no longer make long jumps to the warp storms of Ophelia were terrorized by the imperial church who searched desperately for someone to blame for this nightmare. I will stop there and we can discuss. Alright. Yeah, that is quite a lot. So just to just to clarify, that first thing that they were talking about with um, the orcs and tyranids, uh, tyranids, for anyone who doesn't know, imagine the aliens from Aliens, except, like, half of them are the queens, and the other half are even more dangerous and terrifying and big. I feel like we, I, I feel like instead of explaining what everything is, we should just say, watch the bonus episode that explains it because if we if we go if we go into explaining every little detail it's going to take three times as long yeah no offense to you matt but yeah i know i was just i don't think we've ever talked about the tyranids we we mentioned them briefly in the episode yeah but they fused with the orcs and they became the single most terrifying thing i think that's ever been in warhammer i don't think there's ever been anything as bad as the devourers yeah, I I, mm-hmm. I like I like the idea that the the new devourer is the like the true greater threat. Like it's not chaos; they've done that a bajillion times, and rather it's the you know. Um, yeah, I mean, we've basically had over twelve thousand years of fighting chaos at this point between Horus heresy and Abaddon's many Black Crusades. Yeah, and even just even just like. Every, I don't know, just everything in general. It's just Yo, like, why oh, can't he throw a white crusade? Why does it have to be black? <laughs> but uh, what, what I really like about this is it, it discusses how every race is changing over time. Like the Eldar, Eldar oh, are like, done. They're just done. 
Did no one didn't is is was there not like a failsafe on the Infinity Circuit to let Inead out when they all died? Like I feel <laughs> like that is a a major <laughs> major design flaw. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean to be fair, the Eldar fucked so much they probably didn't really take that into consideration until it was too late. Yeah, probably. Because their whole thing was that that they they would make sure that when they died, their souls would go into the Infinity Circuit to create Inead, and then Inead would break Bell Delphine's back over its knee. And then it it just it can't get out because no no one thought like hmm, maybe maybe house. it should escape at some point. <laughs> no, no. And then the Tau basically just become the new Imperium of Man, which I think is interesting because I know a lot of people aren't the biggest fans of the Tau because they're very much I don't know in in a in a universe of grim dark futures, the Tau feel like they're just. The Tau, you know? Mm-hmm. They're not really grimdark. They're just, like, a bunch of space hippies, I suppose. Even and... I, I... I feel like the, the, their their designs also feel like something out of a more shiny science fiction. Yeah, that too. I'm, like... I'm adjusting my microphone. I flipped my mic over. Instead of sticking up, it sticks down because it makes more sense to me. Because shut up. Adjusting a little bit. But yeah, um, I think it does well with all of that world building. And kudos to the author. The Golden Throne failing? That's that's pretty big shit. I don't think Games Workshop will ever do that. Uh Uh-huh. Unless they really want to reboot the universe. Unless they really do want to reboot the universe. But but I like how he, he really sticks with that. Do we know if the author actually is a he? Do we even know who, who the he, hell he is? He is a he. He is a he, okay. Um, the we're, we're about to get into the other parts, but, you know, the Inquisition shattering, the church falling apart. That's Man, that's, that is as grimdark as it gets. I'm just glad my girls and the Death of Sororitas are okay. They're Watering just torching people. billions. Yeah. It's it's just standard stuff. It's just you know standard day for someone who's in the <laughs> ministerium. It's it's just a few more exterminatus than usual. It's nothing big. All right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean. Yeah. I mean. I mean. Sure, they're putting billions to the torch, but also they used to do that anyways. True. True. Yeah, but now they're just doing it without any like filter. Yeah. <clears throat> so we'll continue. It is said in those days, a hundred thousand petty Imperia were created from the carved-up corpse of the Imperium of Man. Each claimed legitimacy and claiming to be led by a leader chosen by the Emperor as he finally died. Some even claimed to be the Emperor reborn. Humanity so scared in their huddled masses believed this heresy without question, too afraid to imagine a universe without their father and protector. The noble space marines fared little better. Most chapters utterly disintegrated as their forces, who fought individual missions across the galaxy, found they could not return to their chapter masters. In the darkness and loneliness, many marines chose only the path they knew, war. They became rogues and near bandits, pillaging imperial worlds for the war effort, as they would say in justification for their actions. They said that the White Scar and Raven Guard war bands were the worst because they were so swift and ruthless in their pillaging. The Black Templars retained most of their original fervor and merely continued their crusades. They became full worshippers of the God Emperor, and High Marshal Dorstros declared a new and greater crusade to destroy every human that did not submit to them in the God Emperor, and purging everything and everyone else. Their zealotry blinded to them to their own heresies as more and more as more and leaderless Marines 
desperate for orders and purpose, tagged along the Black Templar Crusade. Millions of ragtag former Imperial Guard and massive mobs of flagellating Imperial cultists quickly joined the Crusade's march across the stars. Soon their depleted numbers drained from the wars with the new devourer had reached nearly 2,000 Astartes, representing the single... Second largest single group of Imperial Marines still in existence, second to the, only the Grand Sicarium. Yet no matter how large the crusade got, the Templars were not but a, ra- a band of raving fanatics. Ultramar was re- renamed the Grand Sicarium under their new r- ruler, Cato Sicarius. His realm became a holy site for other Ultramarine successors, their fractured remnants gathering on Ultramar like a swarm of flies. Sicarius declared himself High King, decreeing that those under his protection should worship him as the god he was. Sicarius <laughs> became the ruler of his own little empire. The angelic marines and ordinary mortals under his decree became his worshippers. Upon Macrag <laughs> itself, the fortress of Obsidian was crafted. The heads of Hegemon and Kalgar were stuck upon great steel spikes, a grim demonstration of Zacharias's desire to rule all. Ultramar became a darker place in those centuries. Those forged worlds still intact of the collapsed Imperium either fell to chaotic or dragon cult invasions. Some were ransacked by rival war bands, desperate for tech priest slaves to help them work their stolen technologies. These slaves became bartered like currency amongst lar- various larger petty Imperia, as they became known now. Some forged worlds simply sealed themselves off from the galaxy entirely. Their fabricators for once preferring ignorance over knowledge of what lay beyond. Chaos became a raging torrent in these dark millennia, rising to levels of corruption not seen since the original Age of Strife. Worlds were dragged into the warp as whole planets were overrun by rogue psychers, madmen, and monstrous space marines. The Chaos Legions became virtually indistinguishable from rabid bands of former loyalists. Some groups slaughtered in the name of dark gods, others just slaughtered. Abaddon the Despoiler seized massive swaths of space around the eye, became being careful not to disturb the new devourer as it blundered around him, dodging like a skilled swimmer, giving a swarm of predatory fish a wide berth. He avoided them. Abaddon in his 200th Black Crusade plunged into the soul <laughs> system. It is there that the legend tells of the War of the Two Spears. Here, Abaddon faced the army of the Dragon Transcendent, a vast army of fallen Mechanicus and those same silver sentinels that already plagued thousands of worlds. The confrontation was epic in scale. Warped spawn magic and demonic machinery and weaponry battled arcane weapons of unimaginable power. The vast serried ranks of Necron and Pariah, which covered nearly every solid world in the solar system like a silver carpet. In the end, Abaddon was forced to merely surround the Urt cloud. The dragon had ensured the solar system was his. His, save for a single orb of diamond heart sovereignness, Titan. It stood a stony fortress, its doors sealed from the Necrons by adamantium and heavy cannons, its soul sealed from Abaddon by this cold steel cage of faith, encasing the hearts of the Grey Knight in Custodes' guard trapped upon the world. All other humans in the world had perished a thousand years previously, yet the ancient warriors stood form, a shadow of the Imperium's past glory. In the turbulent energies of the warp, the Chaos Gods also suffered, for with the end of the Emperor, something else was stirred. Bird upon the death of the Carrion Lord on Terra, the Star Child suckled upon the rage religious lunacy of the dying Imperium, consuming every soul remaining on Terra and its birth pangs. This is what killed the Astronomicon. Ophelia became a focus for this dark zeal. At the fi- dawn of the 50th millennium, the Star Child became the Star Father, and the warp became a battleground for a brief instance or perhaps an eternity in the warp none could tell for sure the starfighter became dominant of, over the other chaos foes then with the sickening inevitability of the great game of chaos the starfather became one amongst five a god of order against 
amongst gods of chaos where they spread chaos he spread oppression where their demons were feral nightmares that rent souls his demons were faceless automata enslaving the souls of humans into servitude the star father's daemon worlds sprung up in the eye and across the galaxy in the closing millennia of this dark age they were globes of featureless gold with golden faceless demons and billions of mindless empty humans the inhabitants of these worlds shuffled across the surface for no particular reason until they simply died of starvation or fatigue it is the 51st millennium, and I cannot wake up from this nightmare. I cannot wake up. What an amazing idea. Oh, yeah. The Imperia. The fact that the Emperor becomes a Chaos God is a really, really interesting concept. But, but how it's how it's done is what I really like. Because it's not like, oh, he's going to like try and save the Imperium as a Chaos God. No. He makes, debatably, I think he makes things worse than anybody else. Because it's like he's... Imp- He's just continuing the cycle of the Petty Imperia. Plus, he's le- literally leeching power off of their everything falling apart. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a real nightmare. In addition, the, the greatest idea, it all pales in comparison. The Grand Sicarium. One of the most hilarious ideas about the Ultramarines I've ever thought of. And it wasn't even my own thought. Yeah, I um I, I like the idea of the Emperor eventually becoming a bad guy. Cause I can imagine, you know, the, the like like the, the true horror of the Space Marines having to fight their own father and his creations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean that's I think that's the only way to really break him. I mean he's they've done everything possible to break this one man and they've done it finally. But then the chaos gods start to suffer for it too. Do we ever? Does it ever discuss what happened to the other chaos gods? Um, like, the, like the minor ones? No, like Zinch and, and the others. Because it said that there's there was a fight in the warp. Well, and, it well, says it says that he becomes one of the five. So you can assume yeah, they're still around. They're around because you, you yeah, look, yeah, like as yeah. you know, you can't really kill a chaos god yeah. without. Yeah, there's, just... there's there's a there's a great game that they play, and the the like the uh, the power balance shifts constantly okay okay there, there there's a there's a reason why the chaos gods don't just wipe each other out because that would just spell an end for the lot of them if that happened i see um i just i just really especially like the second half of this talking about the petty imperia what did you guys think about Stuff with the Black Templars. I like Forge Worlds. Yeah, I it think reminds me a... a lot of how the Star Wars universe ended up after the Empire Fallen had uh-huh. fell. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I think it's got a really unique spin on it, which is what makes it... It does. It really does. So, uh, Matt, being that, uh, would you like to pick a section to read? Uh, sure. I think... Most sensible one would be the one about Kadia, Abaddon, the rest of that, but we did do that. Um, I mean, we didn't do that because this is the first time we're recording it. Um, yeah, true. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Because we, we don't want to just read the whole thing in order, because we want people to look on it on um, Let's, uh, you know, the, the end of this talks quite a bit about the Petty Imperial. Let's go to... Shape of the Nightmare to Come, Section 3, The Petty Imperia. Sure. 
All right. <clears throat> you like to read it? Multiple, yeah, I will read it. Uh, there are multiple, multiple subsections to this section. That is neat. All right. <clears throat> section 03, the Petty Imperia. With the collapse of the Astronomicon and the fall of Terra, the Imperium, as previously noted, was shattered in its entirety. From millennium 43 onwards, even the concept of a united human empire became nearly impossible, as local powers and selfish megalomaniacs took their moments to strike. No longer was there an Imperium. That monolithic concept had died in the fires of anarchy. From now on, there were merely hundreds of petty imperia and kingdoms, some were the size of sectors, others merely consisting of a single world or system. Some of these imperia claimed authority from Terra and tried to unify. Others abandoned the Imperium, declaring themselves avatars for him, or even trying to supplant him entirely. Some maintained the xenophobic stance of the old Imperium, while others grew lax or simply ignored the teachings of the Church. Some, such as Ophelia, took their fervor far too greatly. We must also remember that many... Many Imperial worlds simply collapsed as warp storms cut them off from essential supplies. This was particularly a problem for many hive worlds who simply starved to death within a couple of years as their agro worlds severed links with them through warp storms or through mad warlords stealing supplies before they could arrive. It would take years to explain every Imperium created at this time and every situation that they entailed. However, I shall endeavor to depict the largest and most influential petty imperia created, along with monikers created to differentiate between them. In reality, each of the petty imperia merely called themselves the Imperium, as they refused to admit the legitimacy of their rivals. The Rogue Traitor Imperium The most eastern of the petty imperia, the Imperium of Gurhed Lusor, is possibly the most changed of the imperia. During the first few decades of utter chaos following the Astronomicon's collapse, the extremely successful rogue trader Lusor was forced to break warp in the system of Corin, along with his large, well-stocked, and well-armed trading fleet. Lusor was a shrewd and learned man, and the death of all his astropaths told him that the Imperium was no more. He wasted no time with incredulity or shock, but instead set to work. He knew that, in order to protect his assets in the wake of the collapse, he needed to form a base of operations and to acquire territory and property. Corin would have to do. He made Planet Fall on Corin II, a populous hive world in the capital of the system, and discussed various protection deals for the planet, entering negotiations with the Lord Governor's staff and government. His scribes and law scholars, using complex litigation and jargon, managed to swindle Lusor into the governmental process, insinuating him into the essential position of defense and culture chamberlain. Over the years, this role branched into other areas, like weapons manufacture and internal security. Though he wisely kept the Adeptus Arbitus on as enforcers, though now their role expanded to overall system security rather than just enforcing of imperial law. And using his acquired wealth... With his vast resources, he bought the Southern Hive Spire for himself and built himself a lavish apartment complex with extensive grounds. His ambitions went further, however. When the elections for the next governor came around, two decades later, Lusor was there, patronizing a promising candidate for the role. 
the eventual governor picked was his man, and this gave him unprecedented power over the system. He integrated his fleet with the large fleets of monitors and system defense ships before using them to secure other worlds in the system, such as the Prison Moon orbiting Corrin V. Crucially, Lusor recognized the need for an effective fighting force beyond the PDF in order for him to secure territories beyond the Corrin system. Corrin was a roughly average system, except for the fact that, upon Corrin II, a vast Adeptus Mechanicus storage facility was located upon the western continent. Using the corrupted local law, he used his powers to order the storage yard searched. What he found there would alter the course of the Rogue Tradem's Imperium his Imperium's history notably. Thousands upon thousands of Corvus pattern suits of space marine power armor. He threatened to have the remaining tech priests upon the world destroyed unless they adapted these suits for human soldiering. They, realizing they were cut off from the rest of their brethren, accepted these terms. Pragmatically, Lusa realized he couldn't make perfect human-sized power armor from the suits, so he had them combined with elements of carapace armor in order to mass-produce them. However, he still needed bodies to fill. He did not want to deplete the PDF or their reserves, and refused to relinquish his own personal army for this task. Thus, he turned to the dregs of Corrin, the underhivers of the hive worlds, and the convicts imprisoned upon Corrin V's cold moon. He persuaded many thousands to volunteer, offering pardons, free food, and the prospect of drugs and violence to these hard-bitten killers in exchange for service. These brutes were trained by the very best soldiers on Corrin, and even the one Astartes upon Lusor's staff, Sergeant Procure of the White Scars. They were equipped with the cheapest, oldest bolters Lusor could scrounge up, as they were only one available, as they were the only available. Even then, there weren't really enough, so many of the armored shock troopers had to make do with heavy caliber auto guns instead. Worried about loyalty, Lusor devised a cunning strategy. He gave the soldiers lots of combat-enhancing drugs and stimulants. This made them very strong and fast, but had the added benefit of being extremely addictive. These shock troopers became dependent upon the drugs and ensured their constant loyalty. Lusor, ever the rogue, presumptuously called them space marines. Within just a few hundred years, the Corrin system Imperium faced a major problem. The reserves of food were running dangerously low, after so many years cut off from any trade with the local agri-world. But fortunately, the warp systems had somewhat cleared by this point, and Lusor took this opportunity with both hands. He ordered his fleets to the agri-world as swiftly as they could, and led by Lokor, he also dispatched his space marines with them. Using a series of short warp jumps, the fleet only took a couple of months to reach the Agra world, which normally only took a week to travel to before the collapse of the Emperor's Guiding Light. Eventually, they made it. Initially, the world refused to submit to the Imperium, and so Lokur led the Space Marines into battle. The sacking of the world took only a few weeks, their borderline psychotic and lethally efficient space marines utterly bested the sparse and inexperienced PDF defenders. The planet was subdued, and trade resumed with Corrin within the year. This was to be the first action amongst many that the space marines of Corrin would undertake. Over the next few decades, the petty imperium swelled to over 25 worlds, and with this, the size of the Space Marine Force expanded too, along with the auxiliary non-power-armored army that sprang up in their wake, which was used to garrison captured worlds. 
This empire under Lusor was profoundly poor, but was nevertheless ingenious. Any scraps of technology, no matter how bizarre and incomplete, were used by Lusor's captured adepts and made into things that could almost be called useful. Remote-controlled bombs, converted landspeeder chassis, poor-quality programmable robots, and various other bizarre pieces of technology. Everything found a use. He was also open in his recruitment, allowing mutants and scum into his imperial army, each with their own regiments. And thus, a rogue became a ruler and rebuilt his own little Empyrean into something resembling civilization. Uh, should we discuss that a little bit, or should we continue on? Yeah, we can discuss it. Yeah, we can discuss it. <clears throat> Alright, so, I would like to say I, uh, I, 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 I feel like that, that this, this is a pretty good example of what I think would, uh, <clears throat> like, 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 what, like, what a good, I guess, Imperial Remnant should be. Um, clearly, uh, Lusor was a, you know, a scoundrel, but he still was able to create something out of civilization. Of course, his space marines, in quotation, are drugged up, uh, um, nut jobs. Yeah, nut jobs. But they aren't uh, mindlessly purging everything in their uh, path. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because I thought, oh, okay, so he's just gonna turn into like some kind of a rogue rogue thing that's gonna take over and just ruin everything. But no, it's it's it, it is something resembling civilization in the grim dark future. Yeah, I mean, which is really interesting considering everything that's gone on in this so far. Everything that's gone so horribly, horribly wrong. <sighs> it's it's a very unique concept, and I think I think that is is why I like a lot of this so much. It's it's utterly unique and decently well executed. Now, uh, shall I continue on with the second Imperium? Yes. Sure. All right. The Ophelian Imperium. In those dark, chaotic early days of the Cataclysm, when the Emperor finally died, it seemed as though the center of the Imperial Church was ripped out forever and stamped into the dust. However, the Ecclesiarch managed to flee Terra, even as the demons began to pour from the Imperial Palace like a vile fanged tide. Though the majority of his fleets were either destroyed in the escape or were dragged into insanity during the insanely turbulent warp transit, the head of the Ministorum survived and descended upon Ophelia, the second most holy site in the whole Imperium. War and anarchy tore across the Imperium, and he quickly realized the Imperium needed a rallying point. Thus, the Ecclesiarch, Pius Squea, gathered together all the astropaths that had not been consumed by the sudden loss of their anchor point in the warp, and ordered them to send out a message. This message was a summons to the Adeptus Sororitas, ordering all of them, no matter where they were, to return to their spiritual center. Over the coming decade, the orders made their way back to Ophelia, fighting through the consuming madness and chaos to get back to their home. Over half of the Sisters of Battle, the militant orders had died in the terrible wars against the new Devourer, and less than half of these survivors made it back to Ophelia. Most either died in transit, got stranded on isolated worlds, or were otherwise slain by the ravenous monsters that crawled from the depths of madness, the fall of the Imperium emboldening these terrors enough 
Yet still the sisters came, and Ophelia was secured. Xenos and demonic forces were driven from the surrounding worlds within short transit to Ophelia, and an imperium of roughly 30 worlds was brought under the direct rule of the Ministorum in exile. Pius soon declared that his imperium was the one true imperium, and only his imperium truly followed the dictates of the, dictates of the emperor. He refused. There, there's so many of those. I have to be ready for it at any moment. He refused to acknowledge the emperor's death and merely reformed his imperium's laws, making them fulfill the rules of the church much more closely. His imperium became a theocracy far more strict and powerful than any imperium before it. Broken naval fleets who survived their warp transits flocked to this new imperium, and with them came a reasonable amount of imperial guardsmen who were quick to convert to the Ophelian Imperium's new, more pious doctrines. Pathetically grateful to their saviors, the humans upon these worlds swiftly reconverted to the Imperial Church. Fanatics clogged the streets of every world, flagellants, doomsayers, adversions filling the air with the fevered sounds of desperate prayers to their dead god. Ophelia itself, the vast world-spanning cathedral, was filled with gibbering and despairing pilgrims and desperate civilians. They all demanded to understand why their god had forsaken them. How could the emperor lose? He was didn't. Not the emperor human... cannot lose. <laughs> <laughs> was not humanity the dominant force in the universe? Many ascensionist cults arose on the Ophelian worlds. They held the view that the emperor had not died, but had instead ascended to full godhood. The fall of the Imperium was his divine judgment upon man. Pius Gaia, who had been steadily growing more and more unhinged, latched upon this idea. Canonist Superior Keralicus, one of the Ecclesiarch's new ruling body, the Council of Three recommended caution. Unfortunately, the final member of the Council of Three was Inquisitor Lord Karamazov, the oh, no. infamous pyrophant of Salem Proctor. My... He agreed with the Ascensionists and the Ecclesiarch. And so, the new reforms were passed. The Emperor hence had ascended, and he was punishing the decadent Imperium. This was the official view now. The only way to save their souls, Karamazov declared, was sacrifice and the punishment of the obvious heretics within their society. Mankind was lax and monstrous, and he had the cure. Fire. Across the Imperium, Pius's sisters and Karamazov's baying mobs of recently converted Fratiris militia invaded their own worlds, denouncing millions as heretics, before either beating them to death with rods and flails, or dragging them away in the witch ships of the Ophelian Imperium. Night and day, Ophelia glowed with a baleful orange light, which played across the towering domes and noble baroque spires of the holy world, as the furnaces beneath the giant cathedral blazed constantly. Thousands of heretics were shipped in, only to be herded into the cleansing flames one by one. Priests stood on great lecterns either side of the horrific furnaces, babbling some insane rhetoric from the various holy books that Ophelia had hoarded over the millennia. 
Karamazov personally executed a thousand heretics, his throne of judgment in near constant use. The people of Ophelia, however, did not resist these insane zealots. In fact, many of the most insane ascensionists threw themselves into the fires, crying hymnals as their bodies blistered and burned to ash. For twenty years, this reign of murderous terror continued. It was said the process only stopped when a young girl, barely six Terran years old, ran to the ecclesiarch evading guards and kissed his feet in religious adoration. Before he could respond, the girl was shot by a wild-eyed Fratiris militiaman. In a terrible rage, Pius ordered the man's innards boiled, and he was taken away to be executed. The genocide stopped soon after that day, as Pius realized his orders had destroyed even the faithful. He had come to this realization despairingly late, and the Ophelian Imperium was left severely weak following this period of witch hunts. Almost a third of the population was killed, and the Imperium's industry was terribly understaffed. Another twenty years passed, and the Imperium was still struggling. It took the Talern War to open the new ecclesiarch on Astorian's eyes to this conspicuous lack of resources. It was in the year uh, 234, millennium 45, that the Ophelian Imperium first came into conflict with the Talarn Empire. The Talarns were located just to the galactic east of the Ophelians. The Talarns had been a tiny empire under the rule of the original Imperium, and their greatest contribution to it had been merely desert special, specialist Imperial Guard regiments. With the loss of the Imperium... Talarn had survived surprisingly well, having already a small empire with its own resources. The lack of an imperial teeth for soldiers had allowed them to expand their PDF force far beyond what was once capable. In fact, so much did it expand that they inevitably developed an active offensive force and managed to maintain a fleet of starships using captured admech expertise and an abundance of natural resources on one of their periphery colonies, which soon became a giant shipyard. The Talon believed strongly in the Emperor, but their views were far more traditionalist than Ophelia's radical reforms. Thus, when Talon expanded westwards and encountered Ophelian worlds, they offered them an alternative to Ophelian insanity. Many civilians on these outlying worlds, disgruntled with the massive death toll of the Ophelian regime, openly pleaded to the Talon to save them, or so the Talarn Empire claimed. Thus, when the Sororitas came to put down these revolts, the Talarn fleets were there to engage them. And so the war began. The Talarn vessels were of poor quality, and most of their conscript armies were nowhere near as effective as the highly disciplined Adepta Sororitas. However, the Sororitas had incredibly weak supply chains, and their resources were woefully depleted. It was said at the Battle of Canaanine, that the sisters fought without bolters, for their supply of bolter shells were so low. In contrast, the Talons had a well-developed and above all extensive logistic train, with numerous way stations supplying their vessels between each short warp jump. Their ships were cheap and terrible but numerous, and they overwhelmed the sisters of battle. The Ophelians lost sixteen worlds in the war, and were driven back from their former territory, all because of their depleted resources. Thus, Onostorian instigated his heathen levy reforms. These new ecclesiarchal bulls tasked the large witch-ship fleets to change their tactics. They were to spread out from Ophelian space and find heathen worlds. 
the populations of these worlds, due to their due to their heresies, were to be subjugated. However, they would not be offered conversion as a way out. Instead, all non-Ophelian imperial cultists, be they Thorians, Amivores, machine cultists, or anyone else, were to be set to work as slaves and serfs. They would work the fields of the surviving Ophelian agri-worlds, and they were put to work in the industrial worlds that the Ecclesiarch permitted to be built on worlds within the Empire. The Emperor, Honestorian was quoted as saying, desires the Imperium be rebuilt in his divine image. He destroyed the old realm, so we shall rebuild it to his exaltations. Our penance has been paid now in blood and ash. Now the time of reformation is at hand. Thus began the second phase of the Ophelian Imperium. In many ways, this phase of the Ophelian Imperium was even more terrible than what came before. That, however, is a story for a later date. Oh, man. Those are some long sections. Oh, yeah. Um, I... Go ahead. Um, well, I'll, I'll let you finish. Well, I was just going to say, one one thing I had started to notice is actually the, um, the nitty-gritty execution of uh, words being repeated a little bit. That is a little bit tiring to read sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just a little bit dull at moments, but certainly I would say the world building backs it up a bit. Uh, what were you going to say, Sergio? Um, I was just gonna say I I I really like this section. Uh, the the moment where the because because I, I I read the section before and I remember I was in the car and I was reading that 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 part where the girl gets shot and I was like I, like I read it again. And I was like oh, that that didn't just happen. Like oh yeah, that shit yeah. that shit hits hard. I mean, yeah. it basically turns into um ultra religious Nazi zealots. Yeah, this is basically, like I, I like that like like this example is basically like it's it's the Imperium but worse. It's everything the Emperor didn't want happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is absolutely the grim darkness of the future in all its horror throws. I'd I'd like to imagine the per- the person who asked like, but how could the Emperor lose? He just got shot. And it was like the Emperor didn't lose. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's see. Would any of you like to read the third and final one, or shall I continue? I I will give you a break, and I will read the Delphine Imperium. Lord Inquisitor Delphine was a very powerful Inquisitor, and was leading a vast conglomeration of Imperial forces in the cleansing of the Carpathia system when the Astronomicon finally collapsed. Many thousands of his fleet's vessels were lost in the warp, and the rest were spat out somewhere in the Ultima Segmentum. Delphine's astropaths and navigators all died as for one, named Orici. Using her talents, Delphine discovered several nearby systems, and he persuaded the fleet admiral to make a series of short warp jumps to reach these nearby worlds. Within six months, they had made it to these systems. The Inquisitor dispensed with the pleasantries and instantly seized the governor's palace of the capital world, Harkin. When he discovered that Harkin and its fellow in-system worlds had all suffered the loss of astropaths and widespread riots in the streets, he knew something very wrong had happened. The realization became more and more evident as M43 continued onward. For 13 years, the Inquisitor and his crusade forces desperately fought off constant pirate attacks and Xenos incursions that seemed to be a near-constant occurrence across the entire subsector. As they fought... They unconsciously began to utilize Harkin as more systems more and more. Reserves for lost guardsmen came with from within Harkinian PDF ranks. Munitions and supplies were gifted by the governors and provincial lords of Harkin and the outlying worlds and adjacent systems. The Harkin system was always in an unofficial league of governors. 
even before the death of the Emperor, whereas before the Inquisitor would have probably destroyed the League due to the potential for subversive behavior inherent to their League. He now openly encouraged that the close ties between the worlds was utilized to its fullest by the cunning Inquisitor, using his crusade force of Red Hunters, Marines, Death Watch, and vast regiments of Inquisitorial Stormtroopers and Imperial Guardsmen. Delphine kept the League of Planetary Governors, or LPG, relatively intact. However, it became clear that there was no one else coming to relieve the Inquisitor and his forces. The Emperor was dead, and so was his Imperium. Yet, this was not a particularly terrible problem for the pragmatic Delphine. Over the years of fighting, the infrastructure of his crusade and that of governments of the LPG had merged significantly. His crusade was divided, fighting on all fronts across the LPG's borders, and many of his generals had agreed to defense contracts with power, local power magnates and lords, offering protection in exchange for supplies and limited leadership of the aforementioned provinces. Delphine himself became famous, while many called him the Breaker, due to a legendary battle on the borders where the Inquisitor used Thunderhammer to smash the gates of a rebellious city open, allowing his troops to enter the city and slaughter the enemy. When the old governor of Harkin died, it was with popular support that Delphine, flanked by his red hunter Astartes bodyguards, entered the city and seized leadership officially. Though the LPG was technically a council of equals, the Harkin seat was always the most powerful. With Delphine on the throne, it became clear this was no longer a mere alliance, it was an empire. Delphine, intoxicated by his success in crafting a functioning state with the ashes of a shattered Imperium, declared that he was that this was the new Imperium, the sole legitimate power in the universe. It was a bold move, as he declared himself Holy King, chosen of the Emperor. While more primitive worlds of his 50-world Imperium could readily accept this, this more, the more urban hive worlds and agri-worlds became uneasy. During this period, there were hundreds of rebellions. Each was easily crushed by the feudal military of Delphine. The largest of these rebellions was led by Orici, who was declared Oracle of the Future and denounced Delphine as an apostate and anti-emperor. Crucially, she, she gained the support of a number of lords on the outskirts who rallied around her. A large naval engagement over the world of Fancet decided this rebellion, and Orici was killed during the battle. Unified once more, the Delphine Imperium seemed set to maintain itself as a sated power. However, in 444, millennium 45, the now ancient Delphine finally died. The vassal governors each claimed they should take his place, while the Red Hunters backed Delphine's son, Abar Delphine, as next in line. Unwilling to challenge the dread Astartes, the government acceded without incident. Abar was young and impetuous. Deluded by the distorted tales of the past Imperium, as told by his father, Abar declared they must expand into the galaxy and reestablish the Imperium. However, he did not take into account the fact that most worlds were still recovering from a century of civil war. The belligerent king ordered expeditions into neighboring systems. However, these occupations could never work as he hadn't the resources for such actions. In the end, these turns into raids and wars of plunder where greedy former crusade generals, power magnates, and local lords, who increasingly became indistinguishable from each other, so similar in power and prestige to the three strata were, would make planet fall in various human and xenos worlds, smash their cities, and slaughter hundreds of thousand people in random brutal slaughter, rape women and men, burn down perceived heathen churches and steal all things considered valuable. <laughs> Albar Delphine allowed this practice, however, as it provided a ready stream of income into his Imperium. However, it soon drew the attention of other powerful forces who soon de descended upon this Imperium, this Imperium which considered itself so high and mighty, but who would soon be proven entirely wrong. <clears throat> As the well, end of the Delphine Imperium. That was, uh... I really like this section. Yeah, me too. It's it's really interesting, like... I feel like the humans of 40k, like, just the normal humans, really get shafted. Just because, like, oh. Oh, they're yeah. the most, like, blanket, like, oh, we're just humans. So it's really interesting to see in this 
um, like just what happens to them and everything. Just all the dramatic all crap that they always have to deal with. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I'm always interested in like the human like um, like perspective in 40k because you almost never see it. Like I, I was wondering the other day, like you know, you're a guardsman with like the Luna Wolves, and then Horus is like, "We got to go fight the Emperor." Like, what's your what, what's your like what's your opinion? You're like, yeah, you know, I, you know, I've fought thousands of battles with Lord Horus. I'll jo- I'll join him into battle. And well, what's this about a corn? What's a huh? corn? I don't like corn. Huh? Corn? Like the like the. Like the the grain? Wait, it's red. I thought corn was yellow. Why are we all screaming? Blood for who? Skulls? Yeah, it's it's, it's just really interesting to see, like, how they handle the humans in this. Because I think they handle it really well. They could have easily just been like, yeah, the humans humans all die because they are humans. (laughs) But it's, it's, it's interesting to see, like, He's actually taking into consideration what happened to them. Yeah, it is nice. Uh, I think th- I think that is probably my favorite part about it. Now, who should pick the next section? Uh, Jacob, because he hasn't read yet. That's true. Big is true. True, therefore big. Therefore big. Go to. I'm thinking the either 20 or 14. What do you guys? Think? What happened Let's to the Imperial see. Guards or the Starfather Incarnate? Well, I think we're. Uh, I think since we're on the topic of regular old dudes, let's let's find out what happened to the Imperial Guard. I sure hope nothing bad happened to the Imperial Guard. Oh yeah, I really I'm hope sure nothing not. bad happened. Section sure, 20. The I'm hammer sure they, shattered. <laughs> I'm sure they had many. Many successful battles where they only lost a few million men. As mentioned before, the Imperium fell, and with it fell the Munitorum, the Navy, and countless other galactic organizations. They all tumbled into the void in the horror like everyone else. Administratum clerks continued their mindless task, filing reports and signing documents that no one would ever see besides them. As worlds were cut off from one another, communication was also cut like a blade across a vox wire. Fleet dispositions and ship manifests were lost, misfiled, or sent to an- other accounting, accounting facilities on other worlds, and lost forever in the Sea of Souls. Hold on, Such I just a- want to say, I, hold on, I just want to say, I find this absolutely hilarious that, like, the Imperium's going to shit, and, like, in their, in their panic, they're, they're just continuing doing their, like, normal, super bureaucratic things, like, oh shit, I gotta go count all the bolter rounds, I gotta write that down, and I gotta go put it in the filing cabinet, and then I need to count, like, all the, the cops <laughs> and make sure that gets reported. It is an impressive amount of nonsense, yes. Continue, Jacob. Hold on. <clears throat> Central authority took a sharp decline until any hope of contacting superiors became pointless. Vast crusade fleets of soldiers and vessels gradually lost contact with other authorities. Without logistical support from Ford's world and Agri Planet, crusades ground to a halt, carried on regardless, soldiers and troopers starving as the grueling crusades wore on. The foes grew more numerous and the natives of planets more hostile. Some crusades, like the Nihilist Crusade, utterly collapsed. As the Imperial Guard and much of the naval staff began to mutiny across every ship in the fleet, rioting over food rationing, which had reached sickening levels, the Lord General, Admiral, and even the Chief Cardinal were butchered, and the, the various ships of 
Crusade fleet, each taken over by rival factions, fought with each other in a violent and pointless naval, naval battle over the planet of Kyoto. The wreckage from this colossal battle raining upon the, the planet with fiery contrails. I think it's interesting that they used they used Nihilus before Games Workshop even did. Yeah, he, he, he also came up with the Emperor having his own warp entities before Games Workshop did as well. Oh, really? Often, Crusades would find that Crusades would find that the various Imperial worlds they encountered did not recognize their authority and would attempt to resist the landing and respelling of Crusade ships. More often than not, the Crusade fleets would end up battering the world's mission, taking what they needed, often sending the Imperial Guard forces down to conquer the person. The enemies of the Crusade thus became more not only were heretics and xenos, but also the various petty Imperium Crusades utterly trespassed within, causing yet more war. Crusaders, who had pre precious few resources to begin with, swiftly ran low and often were defeated. By Millennium 46, most major Imperial Crusades, depleted and battered, were no longer effective and fell apart. However, there were the lucky few. The majority of Imperial Crusades and forces were utterly scattered as they tried to navigate the tumultuous warp. Sometimes only single vessels emerged from the ether. The crews mad, utterly broken. The countless thousands of Imperial Guard regiments were scattered across the entire Imperium, often shattered into brigades or single regiments. These few remaining Imperial Guard often numbered in the thousands or even, in some extreme cases, millions. Some were less suited on previously conquered war zones. These men either colonies or hired themselves out as mercenaries tribal warfare or were massacred by the human and non-human natives. Other, more fortunate, dis dispossessed Imperial Guard units and squads had access to troop ships and had a naval vessel by force. In various states of disrepair, these Imperial Guards, irregulars, and rogues traveled through the galaxy, using short board jumps to avoid too much danger to their decrepit vessels. Herb. Some, mm. like the remnants of the 343rd Terex Guard, led by Colonel Harsterbeck, managed to find employment by joining one of the petty Imperiums they came across. In the case of the 343rd, it was the Ophelian Imperium. These guardsmen and professional soldiers were used as garrison forces for these post-Imperial settlements, and were also used to train and drill the new armies of the petty Imperium, instilling some measures of, of expertise and experience into previously merely PDF groups. Some, like the Harakoni Warhawks and the Elysian Drop refused to compromise, remain in their own uniforms and maintain their own tradition. Nevertheless, in a hostile galaxy, even these elites were forced to join other local-level power groups. It is claimed that somewhere in the Segmentum Pacifica, a group of soldiers from various different Imperial Guard regiments have been gathering around an abandoned, ruined star organizing a resistance. Against who? Even they do not know. They raid various petty Imperiums in the hope that one day the real Imperium will come and relieve them. Unfortunately, they have no idea the real Imperium no longer exists. Thus, they are little more than organized terrorists, waging a war against an imaginary enemy, slaughtering citizens of countless petty Imperiums, without even realizing these very Imperiums are the Imperium. Around the systems near the Armageddon, the Salvar Kendals, who are fighting on many worlds, managed to not only survive the misery of the loss of the Imperium, 
but in fact flourish and festered as lice and such other vermin such as them have special skill that's really interesting actually yeah considering that they're just like a penal legion <laughs> that are addicted to crack <laughs> <laughs> they formed an unofficial black market dealing in vile narcotics and other illicit substances cooperating equally devious and immortal rattler immoral rattler the Salvars had no real interest in defending the worlds of humanity. Instead, as the worlds desperately fought off foes and became poverty-stricken and vulnerable, Savlar drug cartel protection racket sprang up on the underhive streets and slum zones across hundreds of worlds, muscling in on the other criminal business, using their military training to beat the, beat the competition in many cases. They were also notorious gunrunners and arms dealers, selling weapons to both sides and profiting from others' miseries. Though Salvar, their homeworld, was caught up in the terrible effects of Ophelium Kiasos. Kiasos? The Salvar Chemdogs managed mm. to continue their horrid little life. Of the worlds which spawned the various Imperial Guards regiments, they faced a problem. Many of the best Imperial Guard worlds, Katach Krieg, were focused around providing soldiers for the Imperium. With nowhere to export these soldiers, their populations grew in Their soldiers needed to be utilized and used to keep their Each took a different approach. Governor General of Katachan wisely formed a close alliance with Ryzen. In exchange for ships and weapons, Katachan gave Ryzen large numbers of quality fighters to supplement its Katari, who were few in numbers comparatively. This alliance allowed them to secure a wide area and defend it from all corners, even mighty Huron's Chaos Imperium. Krieg, as mentioned before, turned its soldiers into commodities and exported them to galaxy. Some guard worlds joined Petty Imperium and used their unused soldier type to boost defenses of these post-Imperial In some cases, Imperial Guard homeworlds had many empires of their own to begin with, where before the Second Age of Strife, such as Talarn. Talarn used wealth and massive army to expand their land and formed the Petty Imperium. Of the Steel Legions, their story links closely with the Ballad of Armageddon, and thus shall be explained there, not here. In the period of woe, this second age of strife, where war and domination is currency, the Imperial Guard, the second best fighting force in all the old Imperium, were incredibly valuable. Whoever had the most guns had the power, whoever had the power would survive. This was the depressing, torturous creed of the 51st millennium. Also, they just totally roasted the Skitari and the Sisters of Battle and the Inquisition. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's out here getting burnt. I like that. I like that it mentions the the chem dog because they're like the most popular. Yeah, I yeah. I think I I think it's out of out of everyone, the Imperial Guard somehow flourished under the in the fifty first millennium. Obviously, they did fall into disarray, but they kind of found their place. Yeah, despite the disarray. All right, now, what's next? Are we winding it down now, or what's the plan? Um, how long have we been recording? Uh, uh we have been recording for about an hour now. Yes, pretty um, much exactly an hour at this point. Do we just want to talk about our feelings, the whole thing? Um, I, 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 I would like to read the the very end of the story, okay. because it's very interesting, and I, and I will read it. Uh, section 27? 
Uh, yes, go to section 27 and scroll down to section 4 and at the end of it where there's like a little bathroom that says no. And that's where I will read from. Yes. Alright. <clears throat> okay, so this is the end of the story. Um, our author has almost finished chronicling the 51st uh, millennium. He says no. Author tears into auto quill link from forehead, begins scribbling across data slate for direct log interface interfacing. As I write this, I am disgusted. I cannot be dispassionate any longer. I sit in the darkness of these vaults, cowering from the reavers above, who even now slaughter our defenders to a man above us, and I talk about legends and ghost stories as if they matter. I contemplated destroying this log just to stop them from corrupting it or defiling it. Then I realized this log is more important than this whole facility. This log is evidence. It is proof. Throughout the millennia of my existence, not once have I found another history of this age. Nothing so complete. Picked display shakes as detonations from above become audible above a rumble. Voices beyond room begin to scream. Gunfire beyond chamber door. I would not be so arrogant to say this history is anything near a complete log of this period abomination. I cannot depict everything, for I'm only human. <laughs> but I am the only one left, the only one who has a continuity of vision. I was there before, during, and after. The human race needs to know what it once was and what it can be again. This order, the Order of Recollectors, brought me here to complete a summary of the universe from the billions of source material they have hoarded within these vaults over the millennia of degeneration to store here as a permanent record of all the gods to see. I have done as you asked, but I must break our contract. Metallic bangs begin to resound behind the author. Massive battering ram humanoid foes attempting to breach the vaults. Author ignores. I built a device. This world was naturally leaked to the web. Perhaps this is how the recollectors first got here. It doesn't matter. There was a gate. I studied it. I took it apart and rebuilt it. It took me centuries, but I did it. Originally, I tailored the gate as a getaway system for myself. But now know that this that it is this log, this record which needs to survive this. I can't let my legacy be destroyed. I have already lived too long, done too much evil, sounds of gunfire. I suppose this is my last declaration. First organize. User 17382. Request equal file data summary. Process? Yes. Files located. 1003 sections. Begin packaging sequence? No. Please state desired functions. Use the initial 27 as the hash index for the package salt. Use the rest for introspect... Obfuscation code using quantum algorithm Delta 5. Collate, then package. Collation complete. Awaiting instruction beta 6. I am an evil man, perhaps never intended. No, never intended. This changes nothing, though. My actions may, may very well have doomed us all. I tried to stop them. I tried with all my cunning might, my, my intellect. There's nothing I can do. Everything I did just made things worse. Hopefully, this log can be of some use to those that go on after I'm dead, and I will die. There's no doubt about this now. Alongside this log, I have attached all the weapon, vessel, and technological blueprints I could lay my hands upon from the Recollections Librariums. I hope they are of some use to who I am sending this to. Encrypted section. I send this to Armageddon, the planet of battles. I know what happened there, and I know who leads the Imperium growing there. If you are indeed reading this, Hermit, I know your name, and I have one thing to say to you. Save us. Please save us, Primarch. Save us, Vulcan. Encrypted section. I so I commend my soul to... <laughs> I almost said God Emperor then. He's no worship of that title, not now. I commend my soul to the Imperium. May it rise again. Forgive me. Regards. Lord Inquisitor Crippman. Author concludes log. Log locked and secured. Stasis field engaging in 10 seconds. 
Humanoid figure bursts into room. Author turns to them. Obscures image of figures. Nine seconds. Too late. Your realm will fall, says the author. Eight seconds. The templates. Where are they? Says the humanoid. Two seconds passed. Author spits at silhouetted figure. Gunshots. Viscera obscured. Picked lens. Two more seconds pass. Figure advances. Author falls. Figure strikes data slates from desk. Spectra matching initiated via proximity trigger. Two seconds pass. Figure focuses upon log device. Lunges for long device. Spectro match found. Figure equals subject 2352. Code name designation, Bile. One second, stasis engaged. Colors swirling and blistering and monstrous. The cogitator brain cannot identify the realm it slides like a bullet through the concept of envy. Oil, oily shapes, milky white eyes, and the side of twisting, snarling figures. Vague structure, shifting along smooth walls. More colors splash into view, waves at a beach. Crawford-sensing fails as the images before the cogitator unit shifts constantly. The temperature fluctuated and flexed, forming ribbons around the capsule as it flew through the frictionless realm. Hot, cold, hot, all form spider-like structures on its flank for the dissolved in logic. Eventually, perhaps it's before it set off, the capsule finally stopped with a hiss and gargle. Opening picked feed. Two figures located in room. Room analogous to bunker system. Figure one taps controls the side of the log device. Figure 2 remains motionless, transfixed by device. Spectro matching indicates humans. Human 1 continues adjustments. Human 2. Are you supposed to do that? It's techno magic. We should burn it. Human 1. No. He said we aren't to burn techno horrors anymore. We will bring it to him when we find them. He'll know what to do. Further adjustments. Stasis field deactivated. Human 2 recoils from deactivation sequence. Devil. Nah, nothing even about it. Go. Go get the hermit. Go tell him, or one of the angel fire warriors. Go. Human 2 departs. Human 1 smiles a device. Log ends. That's an and with that... For the, uh, for the next one. Yes, and with that, there is finally a light at the end of the dark tunnel that is the 51st millennium. Vulcan lives! Vulcan lives! Vulcan do live. I wonder what Fabius Bile meant by the templates. He he, he could be trying to maybe clone Primarch. Yeah, reclone Primarch. Maybe. Who knows? There's a lot of a lot of directions that it could go from here, and it goes somewhere because there is something called the sixty first millennium. Yes, I, I I like that Inquisitor Critman ended up being the narrator. Because being that he's the one who pitted the orcs against the Tyranids in the first place, he is the cause of all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he never like did anything wrong. Twenty percent. Tw- the third, thirty, forty, maybe like eighty. Who knows? <laughs> it's um, it's really solid though. I would say certainly amongst its uh. Warhammer fanfiction contemporaries. <laughs> it does pretty damn well for itself. Oh yeah, absolutely. In comparison, yeah. it's pretty fucking good. Yeah, I I would want uh, like 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 I I wish this was a, an actual like like Games Workshop like uh like official thing. Like I'd like books and I'd like like miniatures of the fiftieth millennium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this would be really really neat. Again, my only criticism is the dialogue, not not dialogue, I should say, the, the moment-to-moment execution of the writing 
isn't the best. There's a lot of repeated words. It's very, very verbose at times. Uh-huh. You kind of need to be verbose when talking about something like the Imperium of Man, just to, to really get the feeling of, oh, this is needlessly well, long. Well, it, it, it kind of reads like a history textbook because it's kind of supposed to be. Yeah, in a way. But, you know, it's it's still just a bit difficult sometimes to read through. I would say it's, aside from that, probably one of the best bits of fan-made fiction I've ever read. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yes, it, after after going to 20 episodes of, of almost pure garbage, this was a breath of fresh air to read something that's, like, good. Yeah, and not just like, oh, it's it's a neat little experiment. It's really captured the feeling of the grim dark future i think uh-huh it's a very unique feeling it's it's what made people get into warhammer in the first place yeah shit shit tons of lore he did it he yes. he, he 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 made crap tons of lore which is what we come to warhammer for an incredibly fleshed out world oh, no yeah. it's why we're here my guy it's great like genuinely great mm-hmm. which is amazing because yeah, uh Go ahead. I was gonna say a, a lot. A lot of people have have trouble realizing this, but like what I like about Warhammer is like it understands the scale of what it means to have like a, a living galaxy of things because the mm-hmm. galaxy is 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 unthinkably big. Yeah, unfathomably surmountable, insurmountable. And that's why because there, there's because there's there's no like one like main character of Warhammer. You you could argue that during the Horus Heresy it was following the Primarchs and stuff, but you you can you can pick a Space Marine chapter and they can go through so many stuff, like so much stuff in their own corner of the Imperium that doesn't affect anything else because of just how like you know how how separated everything is from everything yeah. else. Because you see that's... that in the Imperial Guard chapters where they're like, oh yeah, we'll get backed up eventually. And then thousands of years pass, and you know, no, no, nothing like even uh-huh. matters. Mm-hmm. There's probably some world out there that like is just doing fine, and never got touched by the new devourer, really realizing anything really happened. Yeah, which is really interesting. Yeah, there's just so much life in the galaxy, tens of thousands of years in the future. It's very interesting. I remember a, fr- a friend, a friend of ours, one- once brought up to me. He's like, you know, I wish there was something that like allowed you to like, like, like to hop to other galaxies. And I was like, you don't really need to, because of just how how large the Milky Way is. You don't really need to, you know, if if you tried to make a, like a story, like a story universe that focused on two galaxies, it would just be too unfathomably big for you to handle and have oh, things yeah. going on. And- yeah, already just just colonizing one solar system is an insane feat of technology and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are 100 billion planets in the Milky Way alone, which is, again, an impossible number to think about. And most of them won't be as easy to terraform as, say, something that's maybe 95% the same as Earth. Because like 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 to, like to put that in perspective, if 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 you from birth could travel to a planet every single day, you wouldn't be able to go to all of them. You wouldn't even be able to touch a drop in the water. There's just there's just that many. Anyhow, I would rate it at least an eight and a half out of ten. Yeah, I'd give it honestly probably a. 
because of how much world building it is for it being yeah. a, a solo written fan work. It's yeah. impressive. Yeah, yeah I, really... I, I, I I give it a nine. I'm I'm excited to see where he takes it into Warhammer 60k, which sounds like Vulcan and the boys go and suplex Abaddon. Vulcan and the they boys. They take play. out all the piss babies. They they go to, they go to the Grand Sicarium and grab Sicarius by the neck and drag him through the streets. Yeah, it's it it it'll be great. I'm sure. Get, 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 Gilliman comes back and whips out the Codex Astartes and beats Sicarius to death with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shall we herald the end? I do believe we shall. So I'll I'll do the outro. Uh, thank you guys so much for watching this episode. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, Sergio is at Roxas the Hunter. I'm high de- at High Def Hotcakes. Matt doesn't have a Twitter. And I am Michael, Ella. who is not here, uh, but I will plug him anyways at Equinox Doodles. Uh, furthermore, uh, Michael and I both have Twitches that we occasionally stream on. Twitch.tv slash, I think it's Twitch.tv slash Equinox Doodles. Let me check. And on, on the note of, since this is a Warhammer podcast, I would like to say if you are interested in the world, please check out uh, Game Workshop's Black Library. Last time I was on there, there's a lot of Warhammer books for less mm-hmm. than $20. So, some are only 10 I would, uh, uh, that's I a good correct, way to get into it. Huh? Uh, I was correct. It's uh, Michael of Twitch.tv slash Equinox Doodles, and I'm Twitch.tev slash High Dev Hotcakes. Uh, yeah, I want to stream more, as I've said in a few episodes. So if you guys follow, I'll stream just whenever I feel like it, and just play whatever. I'll probably play Warhammer games. I like Vermintide. Vermintide is fun. Uh, of War, Ultimate Apocalypse. Dawn of War, Ultimate Apocalypse, which is a 40k game, which is absolutely batshit crazy. Um, furthermore, maybe stream Roll20 for sessions? For our campaigns, maybe? maybe. If you're interested in that. And maybe. yeah, that's it. And uh, since uh, so, so we, we need to do our, our shilling, I'll continue with my shilling. Uh, if you want um, more more lore content, uh, please check out 40k Theories, uh, Luetin09, I think that's how you pronounce them. I think it's uh, Luton. Wolf Lord, Wolf Lord Bro. Um, I, I, hesitate, I hesitate to say One Mind Syndicate, but they do have a crap ton of videos, and they've probably covered something that you probably want to do, but they have a tendency to read off the wiki, so I would just go to the wiki. Yeah. No offense to One Mind Syndicate, but... Yeah. 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 Oh, oh, and, and uh, a... check out Brava Alpha Busa's series, Emperor Has a... T- the, if the Emperor Has a Text-to-Speech Device, if you're looking for... I consider it like the red versus blue of the of the Warhammer universe. Yeah, I, I would consider it that too. It's, it's also... also a really good jump. Weirdly enough, a really good jumping in point for the Warhammer universe. If you yeah. because it does a lot of explaining, just like lore stuff. Yeah, the narrative of that story begins with someone explaining to the Emperor what has gone wrong since he was last put on the Golden Throne, which is in not only a hilarious concept. Yeah, in the 30th millennium. Which is not only a hilarious concept, but it's actually very, very informative from a lore perspective. Uh-huh. And it, it's, like, obviously the way they describe it is, like, a joke and, like, it biased through the character's perspective. 
But everything in the Warhammer universe is presented as through the eyes of the Imperium. Everything ever, basically, in Warhammer lore is at least slightly biased, you know? Yeah, it's all... That, that's the interesting thing. On the Black Library, I believe all the books are written as if they were an in-universe book that would be available to somebody. Is that how it is? Uh, I mean, I, I, I haven't read... I mean, I, I have them. I have. I need to get around to reading them. I've got some Horus Heresy. I've got an Iron Warriors novel. I've got, like, a Deathwing that I need to read. But the, the official statement from the Black Library is, like most Warhammer lore, um, it, it's... It's it's loosely canon because because like if they want to change something they can just say like oh yeah imperial records were messed up that wasn't exactly what happened like the the first ever Warhammer all Space Marine features like I think I think it features like just regular dudes who that can just like you, you like you can just become a Space Marine at any age and there's like female squats running around oh and it, it's it's, yeah. it's got some weird stuff in it yeah. But that was like hammered everything out. Yeah, that was in its like infancy of because it was its first book. It was still a very new thing. But 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 generally, if you pick up a a a black library book, usually what you're you're going to be reading is considered established canon. Yeah. Yes, usually. Or even at the worst, based off of something that happened. Yeah, and I would also like to point out with with Warhammer lore, Warhammer. Because like a lot of people get this misconception that like because like like uh like just because like something isn't ever brought up again doesn't mean it's been retconned. Yeah, it's like the squats there. are the squats are still very much. People always say the squats are canon. They are. They're just kind of. Or like there's a fifth chaos god Damn. called Malice or Malal. He's still very much canon. They just haven't done much with him. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Whether or not his name is Malice or Malal has been retconned a few times. But his existence is still very much a thing. Yes, because there, there is a Chaos Warband called the Sons of Malice that was recently uh, brought up in um, Battlefleet Gothic 2, which I, oh, really? I highly recommend, Battlefleet Gothic. It is a, it is a video game. Uh, it's like um, real-time space combat, if that's your thing. All right, is that enough plugging? Yeah, I that, think so. That is enough plugging, unless, Matt, you would like to do some plugging in. I got nothing to plug into, man. I barely exist. <laughs> that's true. He lives in a cornfield. But yeah, that's even, it. Yeah, uh, I hadn't even met a person by the time I was 18. Thanks, <laughs> thanks so much for watching. Um, come back next week, and I will do three backflips. That's right, three.